This is nice. I, I didn't realize it was going to be on my setup where the microphone makes me sound all sexy. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, ooh, ooh, I sound good. Ooh. You should see him in real life, Brian. He's got this reedy, nasally thing going. And the snaggle teeth and, and one eye in the center of my forehead. Yeah. I wear a hat, though, so you can't see it. But then I bump into things. It's amazing what a couple of plugins will do for you. It's amazing. Right? <laughs> it's amazing. We, dude, it's called a weave. We don't call them plugins anymore. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Christopher Corey Smith is the guy you've heard but have never heard of. He started his career in the original Robotech and Captain Harlock series. He was the third guy from the left who screams when he blows up. But these days, more often than not, he plays characters who actually have names. Now that, my friends, is a career trajectory. So he stepped into Mark Hamill's shoes as Luke Skywalker in the Phineas and Ferb Star Wars episode and as the Joker in the Lego Batman games and movie. He voice doubled for a bunch of wrestlers in WWE Smash City. He does a ton of Digimon voices. My younger version of my sons would be in heaven right now. And he's in so much anime that I feel like I really should learn Japanese. A few of the game titles you might know Christopher from include, oh, I don't know, Hearthstone, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat vs. DC... World of Warcraft, and literally over a hundred other games. Tons of TV voice acting credits as well, including Ingress, Hero Mask, and Marvel Future Avengers. Needless to say, Christopher is, well, he's pretty freaking experienced as a voice actor. So, enough of these lists. Let's talk voiceover, Christopher Smith. Hello, hello. Chris, how you doing? I am well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so what should we talk about? Current events? I, you know, I was... I well, the Cubs just took the lead, so I think that's you know that's always a hot topic. Yay, Cubs! <laughs> <laughs> I love any team from Boston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Yeah. No sports franchises for Chris. No, the Rams. We talked about that. The Rams. We you... did talk about the Rams. Yes, my childhood. Yes, and th and now they've come back. And they're back. And much like my childhood has come back. <laughs> See? <laughs> and you're still doing silly voices for I cartoons. Still, every time I go into the booth, my inner child is very happy. See, isn't that the best? It really is. That's one of the reasons why I think we keep doing this, right? <laughs> and the fact that we really can't get paid to do anything else. So, Well, you do. You do. You travel a lot on somebody else's dime. I've seen it. Yeah, that's true, but usually it's to do funny voices. Well, so right. You see, it all loops back around. Well, that's true. So where all have you been? Because just in the past two years, it's you've been to Asia, you've been to Europe. I think you were in Australia, New Zealand. I was in Australia, New Zealand, Taipei. I uh, just got back from Thailand, uh, Germany, France, um, all over the U.S. Yeah, I do. I travel a lot, which is which is wonderful. Yeah, it is. It's a great perk of the job. And most of that, or at least a big percentage of that, is going to cons and largely doing the Ingress thing, right? That's true. Yeah, I do uh, I do conventions. I do a lot of anime conventions. Not as much as I used to, but they still get in there now and then. And I travel a lot for Ingress events, which is really, really wonderful. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate 
to be yeah. such a prominent part of that game. Sort of like Capture the Flag meets Foursquare. Mm -hmm. If you're uh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. trying, to, trying to equate it with something, um, you've probably heard of Pokemon Go, right? Absolutely. Well, Niantic Labs is the company that does Pokemon Go, and Ingress was their game that preceded Pokemon Go. Ah, uh, nice. And uh, the premise of Ingress is that there are, well, for lack of a better term, that there are aliens amongst us in our world, and they come to us through portals. And there are two factions who fight over these portals. There's the Enlightened, which uh, my character, Hank Johnson, is the head of. And there is the Resistance, who are the other guys that do not have Hank Johnson. When did Google get involved with Ingress? Google was involved with Ingress initially. Really? I did not know that. Yes, they started out together. And uh, then a few years into the relationship, Google was no longer involved. And Nintendo became the main player. Mm, okay. Hence the reason that uh, that we have Pokemon. Ah. And so it was just time to swap out the relationship. So I guess I didn't even realize that, that Google is no longer involved with it. That is correct. To the best of my knowledge, somebody could come back and go, ah, there's actually this, and, you know, which I don't know, because again, I'm not privy to that. It is above my pay grade. Well, they're mining all the data, so they, they you know, they, they kept that back door open. And they know what we're talking about. Of course. Right, right. You know, but they're only going to use it for... Instructional purposes and information. Humanitarian. Purposes. Yeah, there you right. go. Humanitarian Absolutely. efforts, I yeah, think yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. They're now able to predict. They actually know what we're going to say, which is even more impressive. So <laughs> we technically don't have to have this interview. We could just open up a file and go, oh, look what I'm going to say. That's really interesting. Wow, I'm funny. That's cool. I am totally stealing that joke from future me. See? <laughs> And just, just in case you're not quite as, 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 as sparkling as you wish you were, you just tune up the AI a little bit and you're in. You do. You can go in, edit it. It's like, ooh, there's a breath there. I would sound yeah. better without that. I may just go ahead and do that. Turn up the funny knob. Exactly. I, I like being able to turn up the funny knob. Well, there's a funny, it's like a funny filter or a back to a plug-in. It's probably a funny plug-in. There plug you go. It's a funny plug-in. <laughs> it's like a laugh track. For modern times. Oh, shit. There goes my career. <laughs> <laughs> were you a professional laugh track? You were like an audience of one? Yeah, pretty much. It's the only reason I think I'm funny is Brian laughs at me. Oh, maybe that was for See? something else. I'm not sure. Oh. Yeah, well. oh. Where's, where's the sad trombone filter? Hold on. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so I don't know that I've ever asked you this. How did you get into VO? Did you come from a theater background or what was the deal? What made you one day go, oh, I should do this? Most people in the voiceover industry come to it from someplace else. Right. They either come from, you know, oh, I was in movies and television and then I got the opportunity to do original animation or they come from stage or they come from some other aspect of the entertainment industry. I am one of the few people who focused on voiceover out of the gate and pursued that and then kind of went, oh, I guess I should get legitimate, shouldn't I? And then I you know, went back to school and got a theater degree and got classically trained and all of that stuff. But I've wanted to be in voiceover since I was about six years old. And I, because I remember watching the golden age of Japanese import cartoons, the, the golden age of anime, back before it was called anime. So you're talking about things like Speed Racer? Speed Racer, exactly. Speed Racer, uh, uh, Astro Boy, uh, Marine Boy, but most especially Kimba the White Lion. 
I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Kimba the White Lion. So much so that I wanted to die and come back as Kimba the White Lion. I didn't want to be his voice. I didn't want to be involved in the cartoon. I actually wanted to be him. I had no idea how animation worked when I was six years old, though obviously I had a complete working knowledge of reincarnation. Oh, well, of course. (laughs) You know. A little peek inside Christopher's brain. Yeah, exactly. How can you actually do animation if you don't understand reincarnation? I mean. Totally. Totally. They're they're one and the same as far as my six-year-old self was concerned. Absolutely. And that love for cartoons and wanting to hear my voice come out of a cartoon character is what propelled me through my childhood, through an elementary school career of doing bad impressions and mostly getting in trouble for it because I would do them at the wrong time, like in class. Um, (laughs) When is the right time? When is the right time? But then again, it's always the right time. My 10-year-old self doing Richard Nixon being <laughs> being thrown out of office. Brilliant. That one didn't go over real well in fourth grade. It really You're didn't. still not a crook, I have to say. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I graduated high school. I moved to Los Angeles, and I dove into the voiceover world. Uh, I started taking classes. I actually started taking classes at, at a community college. Really? They had voiceover classes? They did, yeah. Well, I mean, in L.A., of course. Sure. Which community college was that? Los Angeles Valley College in lovely Van Nuys, California. Ah, there you go. And rewind just a a second back to like six-year-old me. My parents, for my birthday, had bought me this boxed set of Walt Disney Records the Disneyland storybook albums, I think is what right. they were called. Those were so cool. They were great. They were awesome. And, and they were they were the Disney movies with little bits of snippets from the films. Right. And then narrated by the Disneyland storybook lady. And always with some cue for you to turn the page. To turn, turn the right. page. Ex- exactly. Like, and there like was Black Beauty was yeah, it was, you know, the horse neigh, and that's true. Right. Peter Pan was Tinkerbell and Pinocchio was Jimmy Cricket. Yeah. 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 And uh, and there were uh, others that I I don't remember what the cues were, but I mean, Lady and the Tramp, and I think Bambi was my favorite. Mm. Uh, yeah, that was the shotgun you know, cue. Ba- I think that was that was yeah. Back when I, back before I realized how inappropriate Bambi was for my age group. Oh wow, yeah. I'm going to hell for that. And the best part was that was where you learned the love of sound design, right? Because Bambi's mother would bleed out when exactly, you knew it was gonna... and you're like, I didn't know that made a sound. <laughs> yes, it does. How about that? So I, I wore those out. I, I got those on LPs to, again, really date myself. And I listened to those over and over and over and over again for years. So flash forward, and I am in my first day of class in my new voiceover class. And um, I'm waiting for the teacher to arrive. And I'm just looking down at my, at my notepad, and I'm scribbling stupid stuff or doodling. I don't really doodle, so I probably wasn't doodling. But it sounds good when you're telling the story. And she walks in, and I didn't even notice that she walked in. And all of a sudden, she starts talking to the class, and the hairs go up on the back of my neck because it it was the Disneyland storybook lady. That is so cool. And seriously, I got chills. I'm getting chills again just remembering that. And that turned out to be a very, very, very good launch for me into the world of voiceover. Um, I took her class for two or three semesters, I believe. Her name was Ginny Tyler. And she was one of the original 
Mickey Mouse Club Mouseketeers. Oh, really? Back in the 50s. Oh, how cool. She was the Disneyland roving reporter. So she wasn't one of the little kids who would sing and dance. But in every episode, they would cut away and she would do some live report from Disneyland. So sort of like Saturday Night Live. You're not part of the primary cast. You're just one of the extras. Exactly. There you exactly. go. There you go. And she had gone on to do so much stuff voiceover wise in cartoons with Disney and then moved on to Hanna-Barbera and had done a lot of stuff with Hanna-Barbera. Like she was in the Fantastic Four and I don't know, tons uh, of things. I loved that cartoon growing up. She She turned into kind of my secondary mom and was responsible for getting me my first job in voiceover and uh, consistent work for probably the next 15 years. Wow. Holy moly. That's a fortunate encounter. It really was. It really was. So, so stay in school, kids. And, and why do you think that uh, she ended up taking you under her wing? Or would, did she do that with like a lot of people? Or were you like her special case? I, I took her class over mm-hmm. and over and over. You know, like I said, I took it for three semesters. Mm-hmm. The same class? The same class. Oh, wow. It was a math class, Brian. Let, it let was, and I was, and I was not very smart. Freaking algebra. I thought it was voiceover. It was algebra. <laughs> um, and so, you know, by the, by the mid-second semester, even if you don't show that much promise, which I'm pr- kind of guessing that was me. I, I, I didn't think I was at really any standout, but I was really, really, really determined. And I thought, this is a good place to be. This is a good person to know. And so I'm just going to stick with it and and stick by her. And it worked out. It worked out really well. I would say about a year after that, I went to work for a radio production house producing syndicated radio shows that were syndicated across the country. Oh, fun. I think I was about 19 at the time and vastly underqualified. Well, of course, that. but then again, but, you were vastly underpaid for your services. So uh, I was indeed. You know. Oh, oh, it's like you were there. <laughs> uh, I did the same thing. I did the same thing mm-hmm. at 21. So that's what you yeah. do. It's what yeah, you do. Absolutely. And it was a great education. And we also produced spoken word guides to all sorts of things like MS-DOS and how to prepare your taxes for 1983 and all wow. the various tax loopholes. So again, it was great. When I wasn't producing the syndicated interview show, I was in the booth recording narration for eight, nine hours a day. Oh my gosh. Two years. What an amazing tutorial on, uh, on blue collar voiceover. It really, really was. You know, and that's the thing that people don't, everyone wants the big starstruck kind of stuff, right? I want a national commercial. I want a triple A video game. I want an animated cartoon. You know what? There's nothing wrong. In fact, if I had a path to do and you could only choose one, the blue collar work, that's what keeps you fed consistently. It is. The other stuff's great and it's glory gigs and and it's high profile and everyone thinks you're cool. And those are fun too. And and they're fun and they're they're really fun. fun. But when you get, when you get hired for a standard video game and you do the character, right? One to three characters Mm -hmm. and you're out and you're done. And then the check comes and you're like, okay, that was great. If it's not an MMO and your characters don't continue on, that was that. Right. Exactly. That's the end of your job. You just worked for four hours. Congratulations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and people don't understand that. And in the meantime, the blue collar stuff, my God, that's what creates a career. Absolutely. Very much so. Very much so. I do a lot of uh, what's called utility work. 
meaning I can do 27 different characters in a production and they don't sound like each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So I tend to get hired a lot for that. People go, oh, we've got 26 characters left. Let's get Chris. It does tend to kind of weed me out from the leads because there are people who are very successful doing one voice. Mm -hmm. Sure. But, you know, I tend to get thought of in a certain way. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there have been plenty of leads that I've had the privilege of doing in my career. But, um, mm -hmm. but it's the utility work that keeps the lights on. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic because what ends up happening is you have a, a tone and a pacing and a cadence and certain inflection styles that are just a part of your voice naturally. And I know that we all work to kind of change those up, especially when we're doing characters and things like that. How do you get so different that they're that distinguished from each other? Well, as a disclaimer, I have to say that when you're doing that many, they're all going to have some sort of similarity to each sure. other. They're not going to be remarkably distinct. But if you have six or seven go-tos and you right. have a 20-year-old and an 80-year-old and a gruff 50-year-old. Yeah, var variations on a yes, theme. Yes, sure. they're variations on a theme. And then you change up the attitude based on what's required in that particular aspect of the script. Well, and I'll say something else that you do very well, and that is accents. Why, thank you. You just seem to have a gift for it. Oh, Brian, there was this, it was about a year and a half ago, I think, that we did that medical thing. And yeah. one of the characters that you played was from Africa. And this was not five, six lines. This was scenes and... Yeah, sustaining role, sure. Yeah, and it was just like, bam, in the accent. And you would not know if you didn't know. And then you played other people. Again, these are full-blown simulations that were used for nurses training, but with real-world scenarios going on. And I mean, that's just one thing that I can think of that you've done. The commercial that you've done for me, one of the Lending Tree commercials, it's a person on the street thing. And you're like three of the voices in that. Right. Right. See, that's really good. That is really good to be able to do that and pull that off as three very distinct sounding and different sounding characters in the same mm -hmm. 60 second commercial. Yep. I think for me, it's part of my mindset of making myself invaluable regarding what I do. It's like, oh, I can do that. Sure. And and going, hey, 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 pick me because I can do this too. And so I think it's just, it became a necessary part of my arsenal earlier on to make myself valuable as a voiceover person because I don't particularly have that kind of Steve Bloom distinctive voice or that Richard Epcar voice. Sure. Um, so I better be able to be valuable in some other way. So it became a, a necessity, necessity being the mother of invention and all of that. <laughs> so that brings up another question. And with everything that's going on now, and I think that we both agree this is a good thing. Uh, in fact, I know we both agree this is a good thing. But with, with everything that's going on now about, so if it's going to be an African-American role, we should hire an African-American. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. It's going to be, absolutely. you know, but that's part also of... How does that affect you? Because it's one thing if you're coming in to do 30 characters and you do that because it's like this isn't a main role. Um, mm -hmm. does, that, mm -hmm. does that affect your work at all? Like, well, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that even though it's only 10 lines or, you know, or whatever it is. It does. It does. I, and I'm less likely to be hired to do that. I honestly wasn't terribly likely to be hired to be a main character that right. was not the ethnicity that I am anyway. So... It just sort of meant, well, okay, a portion of your utility work is now going to go elsewhere. 
as mm-hmm. well, I think it should, because I think I remember getting into the business way, way back in the day and the same six and a half people really seemed to do all the roles and right. voiceover seemed like just this impenetrable fortress that, that you couldn't get in unless somebody sneakily unlocked the door and invited you in, but there was no way you were going to beat through the walls. Right. And voiceover is still sort of seen like that, like it's really hard to get into, although now there are the same 106 people doing right. all the roles. And there's really no reason that it shouldn't be opened up to the ethnicity of the people who match the characters that they're playing. Right. The characters that I've had the opportunity to give voice to who are not Caucasian, it's always been very important to represent them with dignity and not do a caricature. Right. Sure. That being said, it's like, give me a German to do and I'll, I'll caricature the hell out of it because that's just fun and funny right. for me. <laughs> and we don't care about Germans. <laughs> and right, exactly. You know, um, but in terms of playing a character that is not my own ethnicity, I think it just deserves the dignity of being played by someone who is of the same ethnicity. Mm-hmm. So it does affect me, but not as much as one would think. I'm still able to do the accents. I'm just not mm-hmm. called upon frequently to do them. And where that comes into play, which is why I was asking, you know, about you as a utility player, if you've got three or four main roles and you do get cast into one, and this is more video game than it is anything else, but mm-hmm. you'll be you'll be asked, okay, we got 30 characters, we're not hiring 30 actors, uh, we're going to mm-hmm. hire 13. Yeah, who, who can do three characters and who can do eight characters, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or in most of the time, it really does kind of cap at three characters. Most of the time, most of the time it does, and certainly union jobs do. But, I mean, non-union jobs, it can be the Wild West. Yeah. I did one particular series. I think it was the Blue Jacket series of Lupin the Third, which is the most characters I've ever done in a project. I think there were 33. I think I did 33 characters. Wow. Over the course of the series. I mean, like, two of which were sheep. So that, yeah, that's, that's pretty distinct. Um, Can you give the sheep four more years, would you? Yeah. Come on, make them just a little bit older. And do it with dignity. And, damn, it. <laughs> damn it. You just took work away from a sheep. I did. I did. <laughs> Unintentionally. I should have turned it down. I'm sorry. See? God, I was just talking to Jennifer Hale a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of weeks, a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, and I did not realize that one of her early things in video games was doing the same kind of thing really doing the utility voice hmm. stuff and and she yeah, right exactly and she did it must have been the second ever quest because i don't think there was vo on the first one but she did mm-hmm. some stupid number of characters for that mm-hmm. and the reason mm-hmm. it was a story is because she really hurt herself because you know it's not real people it's ghouls and goblins and witches and right. trolls and oh now now right. that's yeah right. that's really that's not good no but it's just the whole idea of being able to do that many voices. But that also brings up the question that I would ask to you, if we want to talk about another issue that we've got going on now that everybody's getting a little bit more sensitive to, and that is protecting the voice actor's voice. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, it's a call that you make on a, on a per-character basis. You do your best to take care of your throat and warm up and hydrate and drink lots of water and give yourself rest afterwards. 
But yeah, there are incidents of people who've really, really hurt themselves, done themselves harm and potentially harmed their, their future income because they just gave themselves a throat polyp or a, you know, an yep. ulcer on their vocal cords or things sure. like that. Luckily, the Screen Actors Guild is starting to take it very seriously. Not starting. They've been taking it seriously for quite some time. And there are seminars that you can go to that talk to you about how to best take care of your instrument. And there are doctors on the panel and... They're very wise and very knowledgeable, and you know they take insurance, so you can go to them if something happens. But there's just a lot more information out there. Um, well, there's training and exercise as well. Absolutely. Absolutely there Year, is. Years ago, I started looking online for uh, Scream Metal and saw some really, really good interviews with, with guys who are singers for Scream Metal bands. Uh, mm -hmm. and death metal mm -hmm. bands and it's like that's exactly perfect right so if that's going to be part of your portfolio then there are things you can do to start building yourself up for that right very much so very very much so. there's the, also that recognition while you're in session of being able to say look yeah i'm in character yeah i'm really deep in character but i gotta i gotta pull back just a little bit on this it's you know? very important. You've got to monitor yourself and you've yeah. got to speak up because they, they don't know. They're not in your throat. They can't feel what you feel. They know what they need to get right. in terms of you know lines per minute, lines per hour. But if you blow yourself out, you're not going to be able to give them what they want. Yeah, you're done. Right. Because it's so easy for actors, especially young actors, to think, I finally got into the room. Absolutely. And I have to be absolutely perfect. And I have to give them what they want no matter what. Yep. But I mean, if you're 30 lines out and your voice is trashed, then you can't finish the session that messes you up, it messes them up. Yep. As opposed to at a certain point going, you know what, I need to either A, take a break, or I need to come back tomorrow and finish up. So here's where I see the real issue. If they've hired a director, directors, for the most part, know this. What about right. the non-union stuff where you're working with the independent guys out of the Netherlands or um, Boise or wherever it is, and they don't know this stuff because there's got to be a diplomacy that you work with on that. You can't just, there you know, is. And, I, and I know that you would not do this, but how do you navigate that? Well, there are a couple of steps that you take. First of all, you just have to stand up for yourself. And it's not as easy as I just made it sound. It's like, well, just do this. It's like, well, right. it's not that easy, Smith. Um, <laughs> you know, because again, people get intimidated when they're in the booth. Right. And it doesn't just happen to the young. It happens to everybody. I mean, I can get intimidated in the booth. When I go in, I want to give them the best and I want to be the guy. Yep. And I want to, because I want that next job too. You're always thinking the next one and the next one. This could continue. Hey, maybe I can pay my rent next month too. Right. <laughs> but again, it's very important that you be thinking in terms of how's my throat feeling? Am I going to be able to do this for the next hour? How's that going to impact me? And if you're to the point where it's like, I'm hurting and I'm about to start coughing up blood, then you have to go, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I have to call this. I'm going to have to come back. You're going to need to give me the evening to recover. Yep. And then I'll come back and I will be able to give you everything that you want. But if we keep going from this point on, my reads are going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And then I'm not going to be able to recover as quickly 
and you're, you're going to have to recast me, which will cost you more money. Or So you need to get into that mindset that by taking care of yourself, you are also taking care of the production. I think that's a very good point. Well, and it is. It's a lot about knowing yourself, knowing your instrument, knowing what you can do and what you can't do. And don't try to do all those things you can't do because that's what really starts to stress you Mm -hmm. and stress your throat and stress your vocal cords. I mean, it's like anybody who does something, if they bring tools that are overused, overworked, or or not up for that job, Mm -hmm. they're going to break and you're not going to get what you need. And then the the longer-term ramifications are for the service provider, not the person who is paying them. Right. So you really have to understand and know what you can do and what you can't do. Very much so. And live within your own abilities. And be aware of what order you're doing things. Like, say you're doing a game. Yeah, screams last, please. Death screams last. Screams last, exactly. I've been in rooms where we've done a little bit of dialogue, and then we move into screams and exertions and things like that. And I think, oh, okay, we're done with the dialogue. That's great. And they go, okay, Mm. now to the next character. Let's go for the really quiet. And you're like, no. (laughs) And I literally had one director who should have known better. Go, you don't sound like you did in your audition. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Because you just had me do the screams. And now I know better. So whenever we move into screams and exertions, I ask. Yep. I say, have we done all the dialogue? Yep. Yep. You know, is there any other dialogue for any other character Mm -hmm. that is going to be done today? Mm -hmm. If so, even if it's on another reel, if we need to switch hard drives or whatever, do that. And then let's come back and do the exertions last. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there are just some characters where the placement of the voice is vocally stressful. Yeah. One of the characters that I do for Street Fighter sounds like this. And, uh, you know, to give him that sort of gruff and tumble sound, uh, I, I put him in a place that, uh, that is very gruff in my throat. It's not the most comfortable. So you can imagine after four hours of doing this guy and then doing exertions and doing screams, because uh, it's a fighting game. Yeah. You know, my voice is is pretty racked. So yeah. what I was doing for the time that I was doing him is I would record him on Fridays. Yeah. Friday afternoons, ideally, so that I would then have two days to recover and it could come back on Monday or maybe even Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there are just things you begin to learn and can manipulate yourself. If I have anything deep or full voiced, I always try and do it earlier in the morning. If I need to do something in the later afternoon, I can, but it's a lot harder for me to work in the later afternoon because, well, my voice is kind of used up for the day by then. Right, right. Or at least warmed up and doesn't have that morning depth to it. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, and, and that's it, too. If, if I'm doing a younger character, it's easy enough to do it in the right. afternoon, later afternoon, even early evening sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing that drunk guy, it's always after five. So, um, <laughs> Or you record him in a bar. I need, I, yeah, I need, I need some motivation. Because so, yeah. it's still two hours later somewhere. It's called method acting. It's what I got. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the Lee Marvin school. (laughs) Are you doing stuff with any companies in Europe or basically like way time zones away, not just Western Hemisphere time zones? I have done projects recently with companies in Japan, and they have to be up at all hours 
in order to record with people here. I feel bad <laughs> for them. I went in and I did a session and they kept trying to get me in at a different time and I couldn't because the day was just slammed. They only needed me in for a half an hour mm -hmm. and they were like, can you, can you can come in here? And I'm like, I can't. I'm so sorry. And then I got in there and they were like, okay, let's get through this so these poor guys can go home. Right. Because it's like, Two in the morning oh, there, and they have to go get on the train. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. Wow. Uh, but there was nothing I could do. They needed me that day, and that mm -hmm. was the only slot I had open for that day. So, yeah, I do that, and, and my heart goes out to them. I have to keep the odd hours. I tend to default to taking care of the actors. You try to help everybody, but because I default to the actors, it's usually, I'm sorry, developer elsewhere, but you're going to have to be the one to be flexible because we cannot mm. have this guy record at 6 a.m. or something like that. Right. Just, it's just not going to sound good, too, just practically speaking. Yes. And by the way, he's going to be pissed off, too. So just throwing that out there. <laughs> good time for emotes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, or, no, no. I want to start. Uh, I want to start with the emotes, motherfucker. We're going to start, start with, with the emotes this time. <laughs> 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 so obviously you do tons and tons and tons of character stuff that's probably your bread and butter it is video games anime and dubbing a lot of live action foreign language shows for netflix very cool yeah it's fun a lot of good stuff coming in from overseas that most people don't hear but it's a great thing because people don't go on and, and go click. Oh, I want to hear this in English. You know, right. they click and they go, oh, I want to I'm going to watch this with the subtitles. Yeah. But yep. um, if they do happen to click on Money Heist and they do want to hear the English dub, which is amazing. And I don't just say that because I'm in it. Although that doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And, you know, quite frankly, they showed good sense and taste by hiring me. See, there you go. Just going just gonna to say, not going to lie. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to toss yeah. this one out there. See who picks it up. So with all that, then, do you also do coaching at all? I have. I don't do it regularly and I don't do it frequently. So I guess that means I do it irregularly and infrequently. And infrequently. And yeah. infrequently. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, they have over-the-counter stuff for that. <laughs> I know. And now I get an AARP discount. Ah, see? There you go. Uh, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be an RP. All you have to be is uh, in the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. They're like, we have your email address. You can sign up. We don't care how old you are. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. We'll take your money. Mm -hmm. See? Mm -hmm. See? <laughs> So, yeah, I have coached before. I have bopped around to a few of the different classes in town, and I've been a, a guest instructor, and that's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Because I can go over commercials and dubbing, and I do a, a decent amount of ADR for movies and TV as well, so I can put them through the ringer in terms of this is what you can expect in an ADR session. Mm -hmm. And that's always nice. That's always fun. People get a kick out of that. Yeah. How cool. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you for the uh, unique kind of setup or for coaching for a group or things like that, what's the best way to uh, reach out to you, Christopher? You can find me on the Twitters. The Twitters. The Twitters, at GetMeSmith. And uh -huh. uh, same on the Instagrams. Okay. At GetMeSmith. Those would probably be the best and direct message me and 
ask of me what you will. And if my time and abilities can help you out, then I'm happy to help out. Cool. In person or remote or both? You know what? If you're obviously, if you're not in town, it has to be remote, but I prefer to do it in person. Sure. It's just, I, it's better. I, I'm, I'm old school that way. All of my, uh, all of my classes that really made a difference to me were in person. Yeah. So much of it is actually physicality in, mm-hmm. in creating your character so. as well. Very right. So. And so yeah. there's a lot more value to seeing someone become that character, even with just using their voice, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. body and their motions and their actions and reactions and all of that plays such an important part in it. So mm-hmm. that is very true. In fact, that, that harkens me back to the teacher of mine who taught me the most about the actual acting part of voice acting. And that was a man by the name of Dawes Butler. Huckleberry Hound. You worked with Dawes? Oh, I worked with Dawes for six years. Oh. Yeah, he was my he was my coach and mentor for six years. Wow. And we would show up. There was a small class that he held every Wednesday night. And there were, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 of us. And we would go to the little studio that he had behind his house. Mm-hmm. And we would we would sit around a big table and he would pull these scripts. He had this immense file cabinet of scripts. And he would just pull out these scenes that he had either transcribed over the years or written. And we would go over the basics of the acting part of voice acting. And he refused to teach us how to do funny voices. Interesting. You know, we were all there studying yeah. with Yogi Bear because it's right. like, wow, we, we want to know how to do Yogi Bear type voices. And he was right. like, no, right. no, I'll teach you. I'll teach you how to voice act and the physicality that goes along with it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, use of your breath and opening up or collapsing your chest to get a certain effect. Mm-hmm. And it really made all the difference in the way I perceived the craft because growing up, you know, it was all about doing impressions and sound-alikes and being silly and getting laughs. Right. That's how we all kind of got started doing that. Very much so. But the truth is, is that's not what you get paid for. No. It's not. The A in VA, the acting, is really more important than the voice. Yep. And I say that, again, as someone who does not really have... A distinctive voice. So I've had to go for the acting portion and then tune the voice to fit the character. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this a lot too. It comes up all the time, even just in street conversations with other people in here. You know, the people who always hit you up because of what you do, people tell me you have a good voice. Uh, how do you get into this? And the, mm-hmm. I think to a person, we all, the first question is, have you taken acting lessons? Yeah. And if the answer is no, it's like, Come back when you've actually seen whether or not you can figure out how to act. Right. Start with improv, take acting lessons, keep going. There's a perception out there that because I can talk, someone should pay me right. to talk. And it's like, well, I have an arm. Why can't I throw in the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you can, Garrow, you premium. Come on. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> nice. I always liken it to, hey, I went to Top Golf and I had a whole lot of fun. I think I'd like to be a pro golfer. <laughs> yeah, right? Very true. Right? That's the analogy I use all the time for people. And they're like, yeah. oh, oh, so, so you mean I have to work at this to get paid? Right. Oh, yeah. So you want to get going on it? And they're like, 
no, no, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Top Golf. <laughs> right, and that's not even to mention the, bus- the business side of things that, again, even people who are really good actors aren't typically able to do. And you're right. There is this perception that, well, I just walk in there and I talk and I do some things and people pay me. It's like, yeah. And no. people pay me because I have a really good voice. Exactly. I have a really, really nice trumpet. You don't want to pay me to blow into it. (laughs) Oh, man. That was awesome. I don't don't know that we can top that one. I think it's time to close. This has been great. Christopher, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys very much. It was a pleasure. Randall? B.T. Christopher? P.T. Randall. Christopher. Until next time, thanks, guys. Thank you. Later. Wow, that was fun. We hope you had as good of a time as we did. And if you want to get in touch with Christopher, reach out to him on the Twitters and Insta at GetMeSmith. That's GetMeSmith. DM him. He gets lonely, you know. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, delivering the world's best talent. And I mean the world's best talent. Virtually. Anywhere. And me, Brian Talbot. Actor. Just in case you're hiring. And all-around creative guy. So if you have comments, questions, ideas for other show topics you'd be interested, you just want to talk to us, let us know what you think. And we do like that, you know. Send us an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or just hop on the website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's www.letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher so you don't miss an episode and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon. <laughs>